Yeah, so with my dad's computer, it he says that it just automatically updated him to Windows 10. I thought it was the thing you had to opt into, but <laughs> I think you do. I'm not arguing with him about it. Um, <laughs> it updated automatically, um, and he. I was over there one night, and he basically the the screen of his computer was just flashing, like it was just every like second. It would just like the whole thing would flash white, and then be back to the desktop, flash white, be back to the desktop. So. He, you know, obviously he's very frustrated and he's like, I hate Windows, you know, Microsoft, they do this, da 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 da. And then one of my brothers and sisters said, you know, why don't you get a Mac? And he's like, I hate Apple even more. You know, <laughs> so, so he, uh, I, I went up there and I was looking around and, you know, it's virtually impossible to use a computer. The only thing I could really do is bring up the task manager. Um, so I jumped on my iPhone and I was looking around and it turns out that there's a big glitch with the Windows 10 bug detection and error detection system and That's it causes and it causes this big error right yeah horribly ironic so i went in and i disabled that stuff and that went away um and it, it it's a lot faster and snappier but now one of the things that he's dealing with is just randomly his well his internet like his ethernet controller just stopped working um, I don't know if it physically burned out, but it, it was enabled and everything. I was messing around with it the other day when I went over. No, nothing seemed to be the issue, uh, so I don't know if there was some internal thing. It just kept saying there's nothing plugged into the Ethernet jack. So that was that was another interesting thing that just popped up. Um, I don't know if it was pure coincidence, but it was the day after he upgraded Windows 10. It had been working, and then it all of a sudden stopped. Um, but then the other thing is the CPU will just like every, I don't know, 20 seconds skyrocket from like 30% where it sort of rests. Um, and he's got a reasonably fast computer. Uh, it'll, it'll skyrocket from its resting rate of about 30%, boom, up to 100%, and like flatline at 100% for about three seconds and then drop back down. And yesterday my mom called me because they started smelling something in the computer burning. Oh, no. So they, they, they actually smell, I don't know what it was. They took it to a computer repair shop, and I guess they got a new power supply, brought it home. The skyrocketing happened again, and they started smelling the burning again. So I don't know if his, maybe his whole motherboard is going, and it's just coincidental at the time of the Windows 10 upgrade. But here, within three days of getting Windows 10, Ethernet jack gone, software glitches, and his whole motherboard, or I, I, I feel like it's, the CPU, but I don't know. I don't know what it is. I haven't really taken a close look at it, and I haven't smelled it. Um, but yeah, it just kind of is a crappy, crappy Windows 10 update, upgrade. I, I, can you call it an upgrade? Experience. So <laughs> Doesn't he's, sound like Yeah, it. so he's just debating whether or not to get an entirely new motherboard or just go ahead and get a new computer and just swap his hard drives. Um, so I don't know. That's very bizarre. <laughs> I've, I've heard actually very good things about Windows 10 from people on different ranges, from gamers to people who just use Microsoft Word. Uh, I've actually been considering putting it on my Mac Pro so I can boot into it when I do want to play some games that aren't supported on the Mac. But at the same time, we're also thinking about possibly getting a dedicated gaming PC because my wife and I want to stream a little bit more on Twitch and YouTube gaming that's coming out. I'm thinking maybe next week, maybe the week after. That'll be an interesting uh, platform. And we'll talk about that in a future episode. But it's so difficult to make that decision whether I put it on my Mac Pro or get a gaming PC. Because if I put on my current computer, it's $120 for Windows 10 because I don't have any previous, previous versions. If I get a gaming PC, I'm easily looking at two to $3,000. Right. Well, I mean, if you're going to do the streaming and the Twitch stuff... And turn it into uh, another YouTube channel or continue. I think you have a gaming YouTube channel already. If you're going to really yeah. push that channel, 
I mean, I would think, you know, just go, you know, get the real deal and dedicate yourself to it. You know, I mean, certainly it's got to be easier to make gaming videos than even tutorials because it's a matter of plugging in and playing a game that you already love to play, right? Pretty much, yeah. And I, I hope that it drives a little bit of revenue. I don't expect to become like a PewDiePie, but a little bit of like, you know, if I can pay the rent or whatever it is, that'd be kind of fun. Yeah, no, that'd be cool. So anyway, it's the 26th episode of the Week Geeks podcast on this Friday the 14th, I believe. Uh, is what, is. That's when this podcast will be coming out. Um, we didn't record an episode last week. We were both just all over the place. You had to run into town. You had done your Photoshop Lightroom talk, I guess, earlier in the week. And then you had family obligations later on. And then I was traveling up to upstate New York to photograph a wedding for two, not one, but two days so we just our schedules were just i was moving out of town while you were moving back into town and it just was not working with what we were doing uh so there was no episode last week um but we're back at it this week um and it looks like it's gonna be a pretty darn good episode this week um, it should be. We have a lot to cover this week. Yeah. No, no. It's good. So anyway, you can follow us on uh, – well, you can check out the website, wegeekspodcast.com. That's always cool. Follow either of us or both of us on Twitter. I am at Tutvid, and Howard is at Iceflow Studios. And then Howard, how do they follow the podcast and all that other stuff? There are a lot of ways you can follow the podcast. The main place that we usually push people is SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash wegeeks, and you guys can comment along as we're discussing all the things we're going to talk about this week. And actually, a few of you have been pretty consistently putting comments in there, and sometimes we go in and reply to those comments, which is amazing. You can also follow us on iTunes. There's no fancy URL for that, but if you do go to our SoundCloud page, we do have a link to iTunes, and we do have a new review we haven't had one for in a few weeks, but Roberto Blake, our good friend Roberto Blake and one of our patrons, he says Nathan and Howard are true geeks and a lot of fun on their podcast while also putting out good information on a variety of subjects. The geek out on every, or I guess he meant they geek out on everything from Photoshop to new gadgets like drones to space exploration, definitely worth a watch. So thank you for the reviews. If you do love our show, head over to uh, iTunes and leave us a nice review or a bad review if you really hate our show. Yeah, either way, we can read it. And we also are on Patreon. And that's this is a website where you can, if you really, really love our show and you want to throw a dollar our way or you know $5 or whatever it might be, go for it. And we do give shout-outs. I am bringing up our patron manager right now so I can shout-out some patrons. I don't know why where it went. But this week we have Michael... Caleb, Steve, Genevieve, Roberto, Jordan, and Craig. So thank you so much for your support on Patreon. Again, that's patreon.com slash wegeeks. Yes, and all of the articles and things we talk about in this week's episode, you can check them out over at tutvid.com slash wegeeks slash episode 26. And that's the number 26, not the word, the number 26. So um, I guess we should jump right into it. Photoshop World happened this week out in Las Vegas. Didn't go this year. I've actually never gone to a Photoshop World. Um, every well, every year that I've known about, and I've known about it since about I want to say 2007, 2008. Um, I either have not had the time to break away because um, it's always it, well, it's always in like Orlando 
or Las Vegas, and I'm up here in Philadelphia. I don't know. I think they did actually one year. I think they did it in Boston, and I almost went that year because Boston's like a six, six and a half hour drive from where I am. So that I would have been like, all right, sweet, you know, or like, you know, an hour, whatever, hour and a half flight, something not, not very long at all. Um, but I've never actually been to a Photoshop world. I have been to some other photography conventions and conferences, and I have been to some of the Kelby One like live training events, and they've all been pretty cool. I, I always feel like they leave me wishing there was a little bit more, um, like just slightly underwhelmed. It's like a consistent experience that I have with all of their stuff, and I love the guys that do it, and I've always, you know, like the original Photoshop user TV, Scott Kelby, Dave Cross, Matt Kleskowski kind of, you know, trio, love those guys, RC Concepcion, and all of the, you know, all the guys who have continued on, Corey Barker, you know, you name them, all great guys, I'm sure they're, they're awesome, um, but every event that I've gone to that's been been pulled off by them um, has been a little bit underwhelming. I guess I said when I saw Joe McNally, that was really cool, and that was that was a lot of great information, and he's hilarious as well. So that was just a very fun, entertaining, informative thing. But I don't know. Have you you've been to Photoshop World, correct, Howard? I have. I've been to about two. I think I haven't been to very many because my schedule doesn't usually. Uh, play well with Photoshop World, but I've been to two, and for the most part, they've been very good experiences. There's a lot going on. There's classes and pretty much anything you want to learn in photography and Photoshop. It doesn't really branch into many other applications, but anything for photography and Photoshop, it's there's a wealth of information, and the instructors are usually very good. You have people like Julianne Cost, Terry White, of course, Scott Kelby, uh, I can go on and on. Alan Hess is a fantastic concert photographer. Um, and then, of course, you have the Expo Hall where you have the Adobe booth and Canon and Sony. And I can just name a ton of different vendors that are always there. It's And I think it's like two or three days and there's parties at night and there's things always going on. So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty fun time. Yeah. No, no. It definitely looks uh, pretty good. And before I guess we jump into bigger news stories, we had talked about the Lexus hoverboard a few weeks ago. Um, we did. Give me your thoughts because more information has come out about it. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear what you think about it. So if you're just catching this whole Lexus hoverboard thing, many, maybe two months ago or many weeks ago, Lexus teased that they were coming out with a hoverboard. Like an actual hoverboard from Back to the Future that levitates off the ground. It looked and legit. Of course, it did. It, it's a beautiful design. I want to know who designed that thing. It's gorgeous. Um, and there were a lot of mixed feelings about this. Some people said it's a marketing stunt. Some people said this could be real because why would Lexus fake something like that? Some people had theories about the technology behind it. I even came out and said it was probably liquid nitrogen, superconductors, that sort of thing. So finally, Lexus came out with the actual reveal, and it turns out it was a marketing campaign, but the hoverboard was actually a hoverboard, but with a few exceptions. It was a hoverboard, it did levitate on the ground, and you can actually stand on it and levitate, which is crazy, but actually, like I theorized, it is a super-cooled superconductors using liquid nitrogen. So... It's definitely not something that you and I can buy. It's not something that they're going to even sell. And it requires a very special track and special surface in order for this thing to hover over top of it. It has magnets and all this stuff. But the fact that one was made, I think, is the most impressive part. Whether it's a marketing stunt or not, the fact that we've actually produced this thing in 2015, which is the Back to the Future year, um, 
is is quite fantastic because this is I don't think we'll ever see at least not in the near future an actual hoverboard that we can buy that actually hovers that we can stand on but who knows this might push some crazy inventus or inventionist inventors I don't know um, to create something like this in the future that's actually consumer friendly yeah I mean until it can just travel over any surface it's not going to have that 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 sex appeal that really that that zing that that sizzle you know what i mean yeah uh but anyway so there's an interesting article um earlier this week on mashable about people don't use the term lol anymore um and it's kind of funny no pun intended because lol was the one internet acronym that i didn't really have a problem using you know all of the brbs idk uh, you know, going back years, the G2G, you know, all, all, of, all of that kind of stuff, you know, using the number two instead of the word two and the letter U instead of the word U, that kind of stuff drives me crazy. You know, I hate the texting lingo. I'm not a fan of it at all. But LOL, I felt like was the, the kind of the perfect succinct way to just sum up this. Well, yeah, I think that's that's kind of funny. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's difficult to sort of express emotion via written word. Um and it turns out that we're not using it anymore. They're like 1.9% of the time when people laugh at something online, they're using the term LOL. And it was funny when I when I read this, I started thinking about it, and sure enough, I'm not I'm not using the term LOL nearly that much anymore. Um, like this study points out, over 50% of the time people are just using the ha ha, just single ha ha. I mean, it's really funny. I guess you go ha 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 ha. <laughs> but for the most part, it's just ha ha. Um, followed with, uh, well, then 33% of the time people are using emoji, which I guess would be the laughing, you know, which I think is the most popular of the, the used emoji, right? Or the heart maybe is most. And then second most is that laughing with the tears coming out. Yeah, um, I would say so. Yeah, so I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting, interesting little on. I don't. I don't think it was an online survey, but just a, like a, a, a data mine survey in general. Um, and thirteen percent of us go with the he he, which I kind of I stay away from that unless I'm being like stupid about an internet comment where I'm trying to get somebody obviously into trouble, and then I'll just drop like a he he at the end. But for the most part, it seems very you know little childish. <laughs> yeah, I never really thought of this until I saw the article and. I, I, I don't have time to actually look back in my chat logs, but thinking about it, I definitely do use LOL a lot less than I have in the past. I guess when it was first introduced or way back in the day, I feel like an old person now. Um, I just use it for every anything that was remotely funny, just LOL, 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 whatever. Um, but now I do tend to use haha a little bit more, but definitely the emojis. I mean, now that the emojis are on the iPhone and the computers and everything, it's just so much easier. And it... It just, I, I think it expresses your expression a little bit better than a bunch of text on the screen. Right, yeah. And and if it's very funny, you don't go with the ha-ha or the hee-hee. You go with the ba-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha. <laughs> Sound like a villain. No, I just put what? like 17 of those crying, laughing emojis. Right, yeah, exactly. I The one thing I do wish about the emoji is that there was, like, it was a global system you know what i mean it's different on android they show up differently on uh, facebook like when you're looking at it on a computer or a laptop so i wish it was all just like the nice looking you know one size fits all emoji that you get like on the iphone or or just like pick a system and stick with it kind of thing yeah and since apple introduced the different demographics of emojis like they have the different skin colors if you use one of the other skin colors and you go on twitter or something that 
that let's say it's a thumbs up of someone who's a little bit darker, that will actually just show up as a box. Right. Because Twitter and I, has no idea what that is. Right. And older iPhones, and I only know this because my brother and sister-in-law have an older iPhone, When that, at least when that update first came out, that I would send like, you know, the black thumbs up just like, you know, screwing around. And it would show up as like that old thumbs up that they had with a box next to it. Right. So like my sister-in-law texts me, she's like, what's the second emoji you sent? It just shows up as a box. So I didn't send a second one. I just sent one. And she's like, what? And then I had to, then I realized, oh, you must still have the old emoji and this must be what it's doing. So it was just kind of bizarre. But yeah, no, it's interesting that it's moving. Honestly, when I first saw the article, I was like, oh, like 80% of us are using emoji. You know what I mean? That's immediately what my, where my thought went. Uh, but it turns out it's going ha-ha, which is I, I actually kind of makes me happy because that's, you know, people are almost writing out a full word. Like that's more letters than almost. LOL. No, you know what I mean? That's more letters than LOL. So the fact that it's going in the direction of people having to do a little bit more work, that's, hey, it's a small step, but a step, I think. Indeed, you know. and people are actually using the alphabet for once. <laughs> right. But speaking of alphabet, I'm sure all of you have probably heard this news. It just exploded on Twitter. Google Alphabet is a thing. And there's some legal legalese going on between Google and BMW because they own the alphabet.com domain. And they have a company called Alphabet or something like that. But the point, the, the premise of Alphabet, if you haven't heard, is that Google is kind of breaking up some of its companies and putting them under an umbrella company called Alphabet. So Google is now not necessarily Google anymore. It's still Google, but it falls underneath of Alphabet along with some other companies. And what's surprising is that YouTube is not necessarily under Alphabet, but it's under Google still. Mm -hmm. So AdSense is under Google, I believe. Mm -hmm. And there are like the Google Labs or the X Labs or whatever they call it. That's under Alphabet. I think some of the bigger ventures like are going Android. to be under Alphabet, and right. some of the smaller ones are going to be remain under YouTube. Yeah, I mean, it's de- it was definitely bizarre when I first saw it. I'm just like, what is this ABC.XYZ domain? Do you know what I mean? That like that was the first thing. So I clicked it and I opened it, and I think I've read the first two paragraphs. And I'm just like, what is this? What? Why do I care? Do you know what I mean? There's no. There's no visual explanation of what's going on. The the there was not really a headline, so to speak. Um, but then I went back and kind of read it, and yeah, like you said, it just looks like alphabet. And it's funny hearing you say alphabet. I don't know if that's like the Canadian pronunciation of the oh, word, it probably is. but it ma- it makes <laughs> me think like alphabet, as in like eight bit. Um, but anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, but anyway, so alphabet, yeah, is going to be sort of this like you said, this parent company that's going to house things like Google, uh, Google Maps, I think was one of the companies that was mentioned as being underneath it. But, you know, you would think that would still stay underneath just straight up Google. You would think um, so, yeah. Google Chrome, the whole Android ecosystem. So, I mean, it, it, I understand you sort of have this managing hierarchy over everything because, you know, to the casual user, I would imagine something like Android, it doesn't come across immediately as a Google uh, product. I mean, unless, you know, you're in in the know a little bit. I mean, you don't really have to be super in depth in the know, but if you're in the in the know a little bit, um, you're gonna know that. All right, yeah, this uh, this uh, this Android thing is a Google company. But what I thought was interesting was, I wonder, I wonder if this is just gonna be something that you know we basically never see. I mean, I like it, it's it's no longer gonna be publicly traded on the stock market. Um, I did see as Google Incorporated, but now you're gonna be trading the stock for Alphabet Incorporated. 
So there, I mean, it's changing at a very macro level, but um, I don't know. It, it's interesting. Like, is is Google like the Google search engine is still going to be its own thing, or are we going to like reload that someday and it's going to be like Alphabet's here? You know what I mean? And I don't think they can possibly do that. <laughs> I right I, that, exactly, which is why it just kind of. But I would have never, you know, a month ago I would have never said, yeah, Google's going to create a big parent company named Alphabet. Um, you know what I mean? And, See, and I would have gonna... just thought that Google would be the parent company. Right, I mean, they're, exactly. they're working on so many things like Google Fiber. They're working on um, self-driving cars. And to my knowledge, all of that is kind of part of the Google ecosystem. So I don't see why they didn't just make Google the parent company and then all the different ventures underneath that. But I'm sure there are some very, very smart people at Google and I guess now at Alphabet who are crunching these numbers and figuring out the future of Google because there's probably a lot that we don't know. But looking at their stock, their stock jumped after the announcement from 631 up to around 673 and then it's been leveling off around 660. So investors seem to agree with this move. So who am I to say anything? Right. And maybe it's just something like, you know, you've got like Nestle or Johnson and Johnson, which are these massive multi-billion dollar companies that kind of have their hands in a hundred and 50 different ventures, but they all fall under that, you know, Nestle Incorporated or Johnson and Johnson or uh, Procter and Gamble. That's another company that's like that, where it just seems mm-hmm. like they're in everything. They make band aids and they make candy bars, and they, you know what I mean. Like you can just point at like anything, and they, <laughs> they, they probably make it. Um, so anyway, moving on from that, definitely an interesting thing. I guess it's it's kind of still developing, um, and we'll see really where it goes. But something that has had some time to develop is the. Apple Music uh, thing. Uh, It's, I I have to say, every time I I open and I read a story about Apple Music, it's it's a little sad because I'm not, by no means am I an Apple fanboy, but I'm a fan of great tech and I'm a fan of systems done right. And it just, everything I've seen about Apple Music, well, not everything, but almost everything I've seen has just been it hasn't been totally disastrous. I mean, for some people it has been, but it hasn't been great. And the one thing that we've come to expect from Apple over the last 10 years is great experiences. Like all else aside, I don't care about the tech specs. Like wasn't that the big thing like okay, Android, Samsung, you've got these great technically animal beast phones, but the iPhone is easy to use. It's a great experience. Somebody can pick it up and use it. Anyway, you're talking about Apple Music. I've heard it's just like menu after menu. It's like a somebody described it as a Russian nesting doll. I can't remember what article I read that described it this way. It's a Russian nesting doll of menus, just pulling one out of the other out of the other. And we've talked about iTunes on this podcast before and how it's just it's just getting bulky and heavy. And like where's just the clean, simple – like as, as iOS has gotten cleaner and less skeuomorphic, it seems like the web apps – and the website, to a certain extent, have gotten like graphically heavy. But even if it's going to be graphically heavy, make it graphically heavy in a smart way, in a way that's easy to use. Um, you know, so while a user or a user interface may be clean, it's not it's it's not clean and easy to use. Do you know what I mean? And even like even on the iPhone, just slightly deviating from Apple Music, you know, stuff like the calendar app. 
You know what I mean? It's still I use it every day and I'm still not 100% clear on how it works. You know what I mean? Like if I click this button, what's going to happen here? You know what I mean? I, I really want to be able to do this or do that and there's just is there enough space on the screen? Is there not enough space on the screen? How do I just quickly shift this appointment? You know, nothing is really clear. Do you know what I'm saying? And I never remember my calendar app being like that before like iOS 7 when they did all this total redesign. And that's not the only app that's like that. Um so it's just like, what the heck is going on with Apple Music? Um, have you, you've, you've signed, I haven't even signed up for Apple Music. I'm not even going to do it. it. You get the three-month free trial, but you have to put your credit card on, and it's automatically going to start charging it after three months. So it would just be another reminder I have to put in my calendar to unsubscribe me. Um, I'm happy with Spotify. I occasionally use Pandora. Um, I had never used this Beats music streaming service or whatever the heck it is before Apple. I'd never even heard of them, quite frankly. I'd heard of the headphones, but not the music service or whatever it is before Apple got involved with them. Um, there was an article, I think, on The Verge that had suggested maybe Apple should have just bought Pandora. At least they would have had a much larger subscription base right out of the gate. They would have had the brand power of Pandora. Pandora as a company, I feel like is in the good graces of just about everybody, right? I mean, they're a great, you know, how can you be angry at Pandora? It's just free music, you know, and they do it simply and clearly and they don't jerk you around. Yeah, I have, I have used Apple Music and I've signed up for the three month free trial and I can guarantee you I'm going to be canceling my three month uh, after the three month is up. The first problem with Apple Music is that, like you mentioned, it's part of iTunes, which is an incredibly, I mean, I'm in iTunes right now, and if you don't, if you're unfamiliar with how to get to certain places in iTunes, it's incredibly difficult. Finding the podcast section, you have to click on the music thing, and then you have to click on this little, these little three little dots, and then you'll find additional information, and the podcast is in there. And that's just like one of many, 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 many features that are within iTunes that's just so unbelievably clunky. And I really do believe that Apple Music should have been a separate application. It would have just been a much cleaner, easy to use experience. And right now it's just not. There are too many menus. There are too many things going on. And honestly, the whole Beats One music thing, which Apple is pushing so heavily that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, always on radio station that it reminds you about all the time. I don't really like, maybe I'm just not into that sort of music, the new rap and stuff like that. Just not into it. I'm not a big fan of the DJs, not a big fan of the music. So it's not, not something that really interests me. You're not doing really the whip on your, in your free time? What was that? You're not doing the whip, and the, the nay-nay or whatever in your free time? Oh, I don't even know what those things... I, <laughs> I've heard people talk about this nay-nay thing. I have zero <laughs> idea what that is, and I'm certainly not going to be doing it. That would be a great um, YouTube video for you to do. Can you imagine how many hits you would get, like you and Michelle doing that? No. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just... it's. Uh, and, and then there's the For You section, which kind of plays music based on your likes, which you set when you first sign up to Apple Music, which works okay, but at the same time, Spotify works just as well, if not better. And Pandora and does have, the same thing already. And Pandora, like, that, isn't that Wasn't that the basis of Pandora? Yep. Like originally you would punch in an artist or a song that you liked and it would just, you know, it would be like the genius playlist on iTunes originally, but with all the music that Pandora had access to, not just the stuff you had in your iTunes library. Yeah. So the big question I'm asking myself is what separates Apple Music from Spotify and Pandora? And Apple Apple promoted this whole social sharing thing where bands can share pictures and videos and behind the scenes stuff 
doesn't interest me. So to be honest, and, and of course the whole radio station thing, again, as we've mentioned, doesn't interest me either. So to me, nothing. I mean, nothing separates. Michelle is already paying for a Spotify, I believe. So it doesn't make sense to pay for another radio station or another music service that does pretty much the exact same thing for what I need. And for, I, guess, I guess for what most people need. Right, yeah. And for me too, honestly, like I usually have like local radio on while I'm working as like cheesy and dumb as it sounds. Um, like And talk radio on top of that. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, the amount of music, I maybe listen to a half hour of music a day. Like when all things, when, when all things are said and done. And I know there's people out there who just have music playing all the time. Um, but that's just not me. So when it comes to the music streaming stuff... I mean, it has to knock my socks off to really get my attention, um, and it doesn't look like Apple Music's really doing that. But anyway, no. moving on, Samsung has announced a new smartwatch, the Samsung Gear S2, which is sort of like the second iteration of the original Samsung Gear watches that came out. Which were when absolutely did, terrible. When did those come out? They came out in like 2013, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, they came out well before the Apple Watch, and yeah. I think they released that because there were rumors about Apple coming out with a smartwatch. So Samsung, I'm sure they were developing one already, but they rushed the process like crazy, I would imagine. And the original Samsung gears were absolutely terrible. I used one at Best Buy just to get a feel for it because this was before any other company came out with an actual smartwatch. It was clunky, it was laggy, it was ugly, and you know, when you tried to it connect was... it to your iPhone, the Android robot would flip you off. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> yeah, it definitely didn't work with the but iPhone. But the, the Samsung Gear, the original one, didn't sell very well. Um, there were some articles and things. Um, and in fact, they didn't. They had some additional wearables as well, Samsung. And none of them really sold all that well. Um, but they're coming back with the Gear S2 now. It looks like they've refined it a lot. There's still not a lot of information about it. Um, it just came out, uh, I don't know, within the last 36 hours they announced it um, at their one of their Samsung events, I believe in New York City. Mm-hmm. And it looks, I, the watch physically looks really nice. Um, it From looks, the angles we've seen it at, it looks nice. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say it looks nicer than the Apple Watch. And I don't necessarily, I'm not one of these people who looks at the Apple Watch and is like, oh, it's such an ugly watch. I don't, you know, I mean, do, is it the most amazing looking watch in the world? I mean, no, but, you know, I mean, you have to have the perfect moxie of anything to have the most amazing looking of anything anyway. Um, but it's a really beautiful watch to look at. But when they turn, like, when they turn the screen on, the way the icons animate out, the shape of the icons, the way that they behave, it was just like, that's the Apple Watch. It's a yeah. round Apple Watch, pretty <laughs> right. much. Um, so it was just very funny to see. And, you know, so what? If they copy Apple, that's fine. If Apple copied them, who cares? Um, like I said, I think the S2 physically does look better than the Apple Watch. But it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see... Uh, how it all works together. My, uh, one of my younger brothers bought a smartwatch, but it was just like, I don't even know what brand it was. Um, and it, it would connect to his iPhone. And he liked a lot of the different things about it. Um, but he ended up getting rid of it because I guess, I don't know, he's looking at getting an Apple watch now because he wants something that he can really like do the, the, the full phone answering and text messaging on his wrist. You know, he does a lot of driving and he does uh, a lot of like contractor work. You know, he's installing flooring and, and different, you know, 
renovating basement type stuff. So obviously he wouldn't be wearing it throughout the workday. But you know, if he's driving an hour and a half to and from jobs or picking up materials, and you know, you got your hand on the steering wheel, you know, instead being able to move your hand and speak into it um, certainly seems like a bit safer than you know grabbing the whole phone and firing it up and all that. So interesting to see, you know, smart uh, or Samsung, excuse me. Um, and like I said, it was just the announcement, so I don't know what kind of mind blowing specs or anything that this watch has. But cool to see them, you know, continue pushing forward despite the lackluster sales of the original Samsung gear. Yeah, um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what kind of information comes out about this new watch. Definitely the specs. Also, what it looks like from different angles. Because the one angle we've seen it at, I believe it's just like basically the, the front of the watch. It looks really nice. It looks nice and circular. But Samsung typically kind of gets cheap around the the bands. So it, it may not flow very well, but who knows? I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt that it's going to be a nice looking watch. Who knows how well it'll perform. But just to very quickly touch on some of the other announcements that came out yesterday, we'll touch on this probably next week when we talk about the rumors about the next iPhone, which is rumored to come out next month. Um, Samsung did reveal and announce the Galaxy S6 Edge Plus and the Note 5, which is a mouthful, the Samsung Galaxy S6 Edge Plus, which is basically a direct competitor to the iPhone 6 Plus, which I found hilarious that people were saying the iPhone, the Samsung Galaxy S6 Plus, um, no, iPhone Galaxy S6 Edge Plus, I don't know what it is, is much better than the iPhone Suck It fanboys. I saw a few people say that. And it's funny because they're comparing it to a, a phone that's a, almost a year old, which is going to be upgraded next month. So you can't really compare the two. But this, the new Samsung phones definitely look beautiful. Um, they've definitely improved their design over the year, over the years, which is fantastic. Um, the specs are amazing, but the problem is you still have that modded Samsung Android operating system on top of everything, which is a little bit clunky. They've made some improvements, but it's still uh, it's still not the stock Android that everyone loves. Right. Yeah. So Samsung stuff. That's yeah, we'll cool. talk more about that next week. <laughs> right. Um, so Fuji, the Canon manufacturer, has a an app that lets you test and compare different lenses uh, right there on your smartphone or, or app-compatible device. It's available in, in iTunes and the Google Play Store, um, although I have heard that the the Android app has some bugs and some issues. Um, but basically, it's an app that lets you grab a Fuji lens or choose a Fuji lens, set a focal length, uh, which, you know, do you want 14 millimeters, 18 millimeters, 150 millimeters, whatever, set an aperture, and demo the lenses. And then you can compare it side by side to another lens. Let's say you're considering buying a 14 millimeter, you know, F1.4 and an 18 millimeter F2.8. Um, you can just set them side by side and, tr you know, check them both out, see how they both interact with an image differently. Now, it looks like the photos are already in the app. You're not actually like, you know, using the app and then pointing your camera phone and taking a photo and it's going to, you know, behave as though all of a sudden you have a 200 millimeter, you know, F8 lens on the front of your smartphone or tablet or whatever. Um, but instead, it looks like it's just something that will allow you to work with sort of these stock photos that Fuji's provided um, and, and really compare any of these lenses before you purchase it. Is it going to be worth my money? Is that extra four millimeters in focal length between a 14 and an 18 millimeter lens all that much? I mean, uh, you know, uh, spoiler, yes, it is a lot, um, but you can really see it. 
um, in this app. You know, what's the difference between a 24 and a 28 millimeter lens? You know, you can just check out little, little idiosyncrasies of the lens, um, check it out at different apertures, all of that uh, good stuff. So that's really, really cool. Um, I thought it was a great idea. And Howard, like I mentioned to you when we were initially talking about this article, it'll be really cool to see if some of these larger camera companies, Nikon, uh, Sony, Canon, uh, or Pentax, you know, whatever, would begin to provide consumers with some kind of similar application. Um, and even if it's not just lenses, if there's a way to do this in general with online purchases, you know, so many people are buying so much of their stuff online. How great would it be to really be able to try out, you know, stuff? I mean, some stuff is just not applicable to try out online, but, you know, stuff that you, there's plenty of stuff that you could try out online and sort of test drive, if you will. Um, how cool would it be uh, to have something like that where you can really give something a go online before you ever even purchase it? I would love to see more companies do this because I can't, I can't even remember the last time I stepped foot in a store to test out cameras or test out lenses. I think, what, where was it? Was it in New York somewhere? It might have been B&H way back, like many, many, many years ago. I tested out a camera and tested out some lenses, which was a great experience. But now that everything's online, I just ordered some stuff from B&H yesterday. I ordered stuff from Amazon. I ordered stuff from a bunch of different places. And... You can't really test these things. I kind of have an understanding of what the different focal lengths do, different ISO, different uh, whatever, all the different specs in a camera. All I kind of have a, all the specs. <laughs> I kind of have an understanding of what all that stuff does, but at the same time, I don't because I don't really know what the difference, what the real difference is between 14 and 18 millimeters. Right. I know and that one is wider than the other, but I mean, what does that look like? Right, and just to like give an example, like we've been talking about switching over to a Sony camera system, and there's a lot of people who have been talking about it all over the web and in the tech space. How does this new Sony a7R II, uh, like what does their 85 millimeter portrait lens look like on that camera? I've never picked up and shot that Sony, you know, I've shot, I have an 85 millimeter lens on my Canon and I know that the Sony is also full frame, but how, like, like the, the bokeh for, for instance, on a Nikon is totally different than the bokeh on a Canon. And both of them are way different than a medium format camera. So seeing things like how the depth of field is different, you know, we're talking about a, a mirrorless camera. That's a different camera system. Everything is going to begin interacting in a, in a different way. And like you said, being able to test out ISO, um, and I don't know how the sharpness would work, but being able to see like, okay, there's, there is, there is a difference between this 50 millimeter lens and that 50 millimeter lens at f8 when i take a photo in broad daylight like i can see chromatic aberration i can see there's not as much sharpness or there is more sharpness or whatever um so yeah i don't know it just seems like a really cool idea i've never bought a fuji lens i do have a little fuji x100t but it doesn't have interchangeable lenses so i'll never buy a lens for it um but yeah it's a really cool idea and it would be neat if some larger scale companies um, camera companies or maybe just technology companies in general found a way to adopt this kind of technology or use uh, this kind of idea um, to help the, the consumer make the purchase and make an, a yeah. more informed purchase. And even testing out two different cameras, maybe like I'm determining whether I want the new a7R2 or just the original a7R, if I can see 
two, two images taken by both different cameras side by side, maybe zoom into 100% on both of them to see what they look like when you're zoomed in, what the, what the sharpness looks like, all that stuff. And that, I can do all that from my mobile device. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. I would definitely be behind something like that. No, absolutely. So another lens manufacturing company, and not the Fuji's really lens manufacturing, but you know what I'm saying, Rokinon. Um, those I've never of us who even heard of Rokinon. Those of us who are photographers, um, I mean, they're not a huge lens company, but Rokinon is, as far as I know, and this is how I know them, and a lot of photographers that I know know them from and because of their very very inexpensive lenses. Like they have a a portrait 85 millimeter f1. I think it's f12. Uh, maybe it's f1.4, but let's just for the sake of the argument, let's say it's f1.2. The Canon f1.2 85mm lens is about $2,100, about $2,100, give or take the day, maybe $2,000, maybe $2,200, whatever. Who's counting at that point? Yeah, really. Rokinon has an 85mm that's equivalent for about $380, I want to say, maybe a little bit less. Um, so they're known for very, very inexpensive lenses that have pretty good focal quality and pretty good clarity. The, the glass is good. That's what I'm trying to say. I don't know what I'm talking about here. But the glass is really good. They're sharp, everything like that. Now the catch is, I almost went and bought a 24mm, 50mm, and an 85mm um, Rokinon several years ago. I'm talking three or four years ago because I was like, wow, I can get all of these, you know, this, this quote-unquote holy trinity of lenses. I mean, it's not really because it's not covering all those lengths, but kind of the holy trinity, if you will, of, of prime lenses I can get it for less than a thousand bucks, and they're all like f one four, um, and and it looked like the optics were great. But these Rokinon lenses, they're all manual focus, so I didn't end up getting them. But if if I was doing a lot more video work, I would have gotten them because a manual focus lens on a DSLR is amazing for video work. Like that's when you're going to use it, unless you have one of the newer, you know, like I think it's the T five I or the T six I or something, or the Canon seventy D that have the video autofocus built in. Um, for the most part, the the high end, or not for the most part, the high end DSLR video people, are, you're manually focusing your lenses. That's how you're doing it. Um, so that's really nothing to worry about. Even in professional cameras, you always have your focus puller and and, and focus pulling. Um, but anyway, Rokinon has announced a new affordable professional line of cine lenses, and these look like I mean th those those standard cine lenses that you'd see coming out of Canon that you see being plugged onto the front of like you know the C100, C300, C500, you know the Sony FS7 uh, or FX700, all those different cameras. Um, they're the beefy looking cinema lenses, um, but instead of being you know five, eight, ten thousand dollars. All three, they have three lenses, 24mm, 50mm, and 85mm. Oh, coincidence there. Uh, we just talked about those three lenses. But those are the three focal lengths they have right now. All just prime lenses. They're each like $2,400 or $2,500, so like $2,499. Which, while it's a little more expensive or a lot more expensive than the other lenses that we just talked about, very, very competitively priced when you're talking about other cinematic lenses. And these are, these are lenses that are ultra high quality, like they're ready to go right on your 4K camera and they can handle that. Um, so these look like top flight, top shelf, great lenses. They they have a Canon mount, a Canon EF mount, Nikon F mount, a Sony mount, Micro Four Thirds mount, and also PL mount. Um, so 
pretty cool. Um, I'll have the link over in the article. It's tutfit.com slash wegeek slash episode 26. You can check them all out. You can see them. It's pretty simple. It's just the three lenses, um, and you choose the mount that you want, and you get the lens. Um, but something like a, a, an amazing 50-millimeter Cine lens, or probably, well, it's probably 24-millimeter would be an amazing vlogging, you know, lens, but not really vlogging for carrying the camera around on your arm. It'd be more like you'd want to have it sitting on a tripod. So, you know, for, for I guess not really vlogging so much as YouTube video stuff. If you're sitting there in front of your computer and you've got a, a lens shooting at you and stuff like that, they look like great cinema lenses. Um, like I said, they just came out. Um, and no, I don't, I haven't seen any reviews or anything on them yet. Um, but I'm sure somebody will do reviews on them. We can see, you know, hardcore footage and stuff like that to see just how good or bad they are. Yeah, really interesting. Again, I've never heard of Rokinon until this week when you mentioned it. And I think I saw someone on Twitter link one of their new lenses. And it's it's kind of strange to me, and maybe you can explain this a little bit more, how they can release a lens for $2,500 where the competitive lens is, you said, what, $10,000? No, I mean, no, two. Oh, oh, the Cine lenses. I, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know. They've always been, they've always had that, that money, competitive money advantage, whatever it is. I mean, Sigma's kind of that way as well. They're not quite as cheap as Rokinon. Um, but I have some Sigma lenses and they're, they're not quite at the level of Canon when it comes to quality. Mm-hmm. Like, there are things that you definitely notice about them that are different than the, like, the Canon lenses, the expensive Canon lenses. Um, but is it like, I mean, I have a, an 85 millimeter F1 four Sigma lens that was about $900 instead of the $2,100 Canon lens. Well, the Sigma lens focuses much faster than the Canon lens, for instance, but the, the Sigma lens under about like F4 has fairly severe lens vignetting and also chromatic aberration. Well, the reason I don't really care about that is because while I am shooting with that lens very often under f4, usually between like f2 and f3.2, I don't really care about the lens vignetting because that's incredibly easy to take care of in camera roll or Lightroom. Mm-hmm. So easy, and 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 the software is so intelligent that it takes care of it. Now, is it as good as getting it right in the camera the first time? Of course not. But is it worth spending an extra twelve hundred dollars to have a lens that is you know bigger, bulkier, heavier, and slower? I, I just couldn't justify it, you know, when I bought the lens. Um, and I love it. I mean, I love the lens. And it's a great lens for doing, like, cinematic and video work. Um, you know, and that that's Sigma. And Sigma's a name that I trust. Um, I've never gotten super deep on Rokinon. I've used Rokinon lenses twice before. Um, and they've always been great. I mean, they've, they've been great little lenses. And they, they focus well. And, you know, I don't know. I... If I was if I was gonna go out and buy a Cine lens, I would probably rent a couple to check them out before I really spend the money on the one that I'm gonna use for real. Um, but Rokinon would be right in the mix for sure. But how they yeah. do it, how they do it at, at the the cost, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know either. But you do bring up a good point about renting lenses. There's a bunch of different companies, lens rentals and borrow lenses that you can literally rent lenses or even full cameras. Uh, for you know three days two weeks a month if you have to and it usually comes out to a lot cheaper than just buy obviously it comes out a lot cheaper than just buying the camera so if you're not quite sure and I'm probably going to do this once the Sony a7r2 comes out because as we've spoken about in past episodes I am a very heavy Canon user been using Canon for more than 10 years and 
I'm ready to make the switch because Canon still hasn't gotten to the 4K space, at least not affordable. And it just seems that other companies like Sony are just blowing by Canon super quickly. And I'm ready to make that switch. So I want to, but before I do that, I really want to test out these cameras just to see how it works. So I'm probably going to rent the a7R2 at some point from either lens rentals or borrow lenses or whatever it might be. Or if someone wants to sponsor this show, they can send us one so we can review it. Um, but speaking of the a7R2... Or, or send two and we'll start doing video episodes of the show. Oh, that would be nice. we got to find sponsors at some point so we can really ramp up stuff. We'll get, on, we'll get to that at some point. But speaking of the a7R2, Resource Magazine online, that's resourcemag.com, released an article where they went over, they showed highlights of high ISO tests from the a7R2 all the way from ISO... I believe it was 100 or 1250, all the way up to 102,400, which is insane. But there's a lot of low light photography going on and you need to make sure that your camera performs well in low light. This is why, again, it would be great to have an app that you can kind of compare these things. But looking at these sample footage, sample, not footage, but sample images, and of course this is just one example of, you can, a number of, um, tests you can do. Um, really, up until about 16,000 ISO, you can see very, very little noise. And even up until about 40,000 ISO, I would say, there's a little bit of noise that in was introduced in those photos, but it's the type of noise that you can easily bring into Lightroom or Camera Raw or any other third-party application, crank up the luminosity slider a little bit, and that noise is pretty much completely and, and gone. And just, just for some context... Um, at 40,000 ISO, you're shooting, um, let me see, I was just shooting, this wedding that I was shooting, I was shooting it at 6,400 ISO when night fell, it was an outdoor wedding, and there was hardly any light. I was shooting at about a 50th of a second, F, about F2, 6,400 ISO, and I was getting pretty good exposure. So you figure 40,000 ISO is 4... Five, well, hold on. It would be to 12,000 would be an extra stop of light, 24,000. That's three stops brighter than what I was shooting, which means I could set my camera at 40,000 ISO, and instead of shooting at a 40th of a second, I could shoot at like uh, almost like a three, one three twentieth of a second and just freeze motion. You know what I mean? Or I could I could drop the ISO and shoot at like 1 one twenty-fifth of a second and only have to shoot at like ISO 24,000. You know what I mean? Or something ridiculous like that. And if you're able to get usable photos, the, the, the stuff you could do in low light with a camera that can handle 40,000 ISO well, ISO 40,000 well, that's in insane like that's an incredible amount of flexibility that's going to afford you as a photographer um and and i'm just i'm just throwing that out there for for people that don't have that context of just why you know 40,000 iso is so much more than you know 6400 iso uh, or 1250 iso something like that so 40,000 iso that you're going to be able to do a lot with that if that's you know usable noise level especially with something like wedding photography where a lot of people are going and adding noise uh, anyway or uh, traditionally there's been noise and grain with film that you're using for an application like that anyway that is wedding photography yeah and again this is just one example of how this camera performs well in low light but it looks like a very a pretty neutral example and again bring this 40,000 
ISO photo into Lightroom, into Camera Raw, and that noise will pretty much go away. And even, they showed the example of 102,400 ISO, which is insane. I can't even wrap my head around that. Even at 102,400 ISO, it's not terrible. I mean, it's probably not something that Lightroom or Camera Raw can really completely deal with. It'll probably be able to get rid of some of that noise, especially some of the color noise that was introduced, but it would be a little bit blurry, but it's still very impressive to see this. Yeah, but when you consider the fact that like with the original Canon 5D, 102,400 ISO would just be like opening a Photoshop <laughs> document and going filter, add noise, you Pretty know. Much. It'd be white noise, 50, yeah. Right, exactly. So yeah, really cool stuff. Um, and moving on from that, speaking of low light photography and even the Sony cameras, uh, there's this portrait, I'm sure some of you have seen it, a self-portrait that this Amsterdam or Netherlands-based photographer Albert Dross took of himself with his A7 camera, uh, Sony. I uh, threw it on a tripod or and, and basically took this long exposure of himself. He was trying to get the, this great star shot, you know, get all, he had these clear skies over Netherlands this night. He wanted to get just this sort of photo of him standing there with you know, his arms out. So he did this 20-second exposure um, and got a pretty cool photo and took a couple shots, I guess, and then realized that moving across the top uh, of the frame, there was this very bright, like, blue-white light, just kind of like moving you know easily halfway across the frame you know but it's like it's perfectly centered right in the middle of the frame pretty cool um i put the photos online and was informed that that was the international space station passing overhead so he went and like checked with the exif data with the images you know see where, where he shot the photo you know made sure the angle he was facing and there's a website or app you can get where you can look and always see we've talked about it before howard where mm -hmm. you can always see where the space station is at any given time um, and he confirmed that, in fact, the space station would have been right about where it was in the photo and that there was nothing else that would have made sense but the space station uh, being what he saw, which is pretty crazy, you know, seeing up however many miles they say that the International Space Station is up there, being able to see that. Because he said he saw what looked like a very slow-moving star that was sort of ducking in and out of the atmosphere. That's how he described it as looking. Uh, so pretty cool. You can check the photos out over on the website, www.tutvid.com slash wegeeks slash episode 26. Um, but really cool stuff. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. And it's one of those things that you just, you have to get lucky. I mean, it's, I don't, it doesn't sound like it was something he was trying to do. And I can almost guarantee you if it was something he was trying to do, he probably would have missed it. Yeah, um, right. Well, just imagine, just imagine Howard, if you were to step outside of your house in Colorado and take a photo at night and you just so happen to get the space station behind you, that would be your Facebook profile picture till the day you died. And you it know probably it. probably would be. You, unless oh, I, I unless someday it. you traveled to the moon and took a selfie, you know know that that would be the photo <laughs> that you I mean, would you, keep you've forever seen, you've probably seen on my facebook i take photos of the the mountains and the sunset all the time if one <laughs> yeah you're right if one time i did capture either like a meteor or a, the space station or something that isn't normally there i would boast about it for till the day i die <laughs> right. um very quickly speaking of the space station this was originally my winner of the week but i decided to change it up a little bit um for the first time ever, the astronauts on the Interna International Space Station, wow, International Space Station grew food, which is so cool. Because um, it just does it doesn't help just astronauts, but it also helps future missions to Mars, and also helps uh, you know frigid climates on Earth figuring out how to grow food. What did they grow? Like wheatgrass? It was like basically like lettuce. Oh, okay. 
So but it's they definitely had, a step in the right direction because they're so used to eating like this blocky frozen food right. that's like sent from Earth, which is, I mean, unfortunately, over the past several months, there have been, I think, three shuttles that have exploded. Thankfully, none of them had people on them, but they were just like supply shuttles that didn't make it up there. So being able to grow food eventually and mass produce it in an environment like space, which there's basically no environment up there, is Pretty interesting at very early stages, but now astronauts are 3D printing things, and now they're growing things up there. So who knows what's next? 3D print a salad before you know it. <laughs> there you go. Um, so moving on from that, speaking of uh, star and night photography, someone actually found a very interesting way to use the new dehaze adjustment in Lightroom and Camera Raw to improve star photography. It was this photographer called or I guess his name was Tom McIntosh. And he took a bunch of photos Apple of... Apple fanboy. Yeah, probably. Uh, he took a bunch of photos of the stars to try and capture the Milky Way or try and capture whatever it is up there. And it was a little bit grayed out, a little bit hazy. It wasn't dynamic. It wasn't beautiful like we've seen in other photos. So he threw it into Lightroom or Camera whatever he threw it into. And he grabbed the dehaze slider, dragged it to the right, and all of a sudden it drastically improved this photo, which is amazing because when the new dehaze adjustment came out, Adobe and other educators like myself pretty much demoed it as an adjustment that lets you remove haze or even add haze. But very few people tried to use it for other purposes. But now that we're seeing that it can work on star photography, I actually went in and tried it. Uh, Rich Harrington was in... Uh, Vegas this past week for Photoshop World and he posted a picture of the night sky that he took on one of his shoots and it was a, it was a pretty nice photo but it wasn't dynamic so I grabbed it threw it into Lightroom increased the dehaze adjustment and all of a sudden it was just a much more dynamic image then of course I went back and increased the clarity a little bit sharpened it increased the contrast add a few more adjustments mm -hmm. and, and then you, became... you added then you added an Instagram caption below it and you watermarked it with your name, and then you sold it sold for $90,000 and changed your name to Richard Prince II. <laughs> I sure did. <laughs> but it's interesting. If you guys take night photography, I unfortunately don't do enough of it. I would love to, because I don't, don't leave my house very often. But I would love to do more. But if you have taken night photography in the past, try that dehaze slider, because it doesn't only work on new photos. It works on old photos as well. I would love to tweet it at Iceflow Studios and at Tutvid, hashtag WeGeeks. And we'd love to see the before and after of you, your night photos just using the dehaze slider. Be yeah. very interested to see that. Definitely would be cool. Um, so speaking of Photoshop and Lightroom technology advances, um, last week one of the articles that I had pulled to be talked about in the podcast, which we didn't get to, um, was the – well, it wasn't really an article. It was um, that CGI video called Why CGI Sucks or something, but it really doesn't or something like that. I don't remember what the exact yep. title was. And then Petapixel came out with an article basically playing off of that as they do so well uh, when you have a video that goes viral to the tune of, you know, three and a half million views or whatever whatever it's up to now. Um, and it's, it, you know, it's basically showing all these different, you know, movie scenes with and without CGI and just how much CGI um, beyond color grading, just all of this stuff that gets added in. And I actually just saw, I don't think it was with regard to this article, I'm just popping into my mind now, somebody put up 
um, like Game of Thrones, I think was yes, the TV I show. That. I was about to bring that up. Matte yeah. painting. I think it was like matte painting or like the 3D modeling they did for the background shots and kind of how they got some of these expansive like old world village shots when it looks like it was literally shot like in the middle of a parking lot and they had like, you know, for all intents and purposes, a cubicle sized little town main street. It was, you know, whatever, 50 feet long by 25 feet wide and they were shooting that and then just replacing everything around that um it it kind of makes sense um it, it, i would imagine shooting they shoot a lot of the show up in like ireland or scotland or something where it's always rainy and overcast so i'm sure that makes it very easy to go in and drop and swap elements like that because the light is so omnidirectional um or I, yeah i guess omnidirectional would be the word um but it's it's i don't know it was really cool and just kind of i don't know that that whole idea of you know is photoshop really a bad thing for photography um as a photographer is it okay to photoshop your images how much photoshop is too much photoshop or is there such a thing as not enough photoshop um all of that really cool if you haven't seen the video you definitely have to check it out um but i would imagine most of you who are listening to this have seen the video um but yeah, it's an interesting little you know three paragraph article by Petapixel, um, but just it all kind of dovetails together nicely. You know, being able to check out the CGI, realizing how it kind of comports with what we do with Photoshop or what any of us might do with Photoshop, and then also this whole uh, Game of Thrones matte painting uh, uh, ordeal that that can be seen as well online. So really, really cool stuff, and the power of it is insane. Yeah, it's really cool. And as the saying goes, everything's good in moderation. And we've seen CGI gone very bad. We've seen Photoshop gone very, very bad. I have people send me their designs almost on a daily basis asking me to review it. And I look at it and I think, what are they doing? They just basically used every single effect, every single layer style because they could. And that's just not, you should not do that. The thing I love about this upcoming Star Wars movie is that J.J. Abrams and the whole cast of the Star Wars movie is using as much practical effects as they possibly can. They're using actual sets, actual props, actual ships. Of course, these ships don't fly, but they actually built these things. And then anything they can't physically do, they go in and add some CGI later, which I think adds for a much more... Uh, believable effect but if you're doing the whole entire movie in front of a green screen it's just not going to look believable it doesn't matter how much how many people you have working on this thing doesn't matter how much budget you have if everything is green screened it's not there's going to be something that's going to look off right and the problem with stuff like that is when you you foul up one angle and you wreck the entire uh, you wreck the integrity of the entire piece do you know what i mean because then it's like can I even trust what's happening? You almost feel like shirked a little bit. Like you know that when you watch a movie, this isn't real life, but you still get sucked in as you watch it. So then to have something like, you know, oh man, it's a bunch of fake CGI effects, then you feel like doubly faked out. You know what I mean? Like I didn't consent to this much. Yeah, uh, I mean, look at the original Jurassic Park movies, for example. That would that looked fantastic because those dinosaurs, I mean, they weren't actual dinosaurs, but they were actual animatronic dinosaurs. So they didn't add those dinosaurs in afterwards. So it looked fairly believable because the lighting was right, the shadows were right, all of and the people were actually interacting with these things. Whereas the recent Jurassic Park movie, or I guess it was Jurassic World, it was a good movie, but there were certainly times where you look at this thing and say, Yeah, that dinosaur wasn't there. That person right. is not looking at that dinosaur because it was never there. So I would say, you know, if 
people were to ask me, what do you think about this Photoshop thing? Do as little as you can and then add things that are necessary, but don't overdo it. So what about reflections and unwanted objects? Well, there's not much you can do about that, uh, at least not yet. There was an interesting article from, was it Petapixel? No, it was, Yeah, I, well, it I saw, was, I, it was Petapixel. Yes, um, there was some researchers at MIT and Google who have developed an algorithm that removes reflections and unwanted objects like chain link fences, similar to what content-aware fill does in Photoshop. It seems like it's a little bit slightly better than content-aware fill. Well, it is, but here's, here's why. It's right. not, it doesn't rely on a single image. It right. actually relies on several images. So when you're taking the photo, you're actually taking several photos and you're moving side to side, up and down for each and every photo. So you're taking like a series, maybe six or more photos. And then what this algorithm is able to do, it's able to look at every single one of those photos and determine what's in the foreground, what's in the background, which objects are what, and then it can remove objects that shouldn't be there. And it's actually using the information from all the different photos to fill in the bits that sh you don't want there. So where content-aware fill is kind of guessing based on the surrounding areas, this algorithm is actually using data that exists in the other photos, which is really cool, but it does rely on several photos, which most people don't do, and certainly almost nobody takes several photos right. moving around a little bit. And if yeah. you do, there's probably an issue. With and it, it kind of seems like kind of thing you almost always do after the fact. You don't really take a photo of that you know construction site or whatever example photo they had, thinking, yeah, I'll get rid of this uh, this chain link fence in front of here later. But the the real mind blowing part of this is that whole reflections. Uh, algorithm where it, it will remove a reflection from a glass surface that is in front of you um, and the results are pretty stinking good for for like a 1.0 algorithm yeah it looks fantastic and it's actually able to take that reflection and show you what was reflected so I mean this is like some CSI type stuff right there and I can imagine people in forensics will be using some sort of algorithm like this. And I would, I, I have to imagine that at some point the algorithm will be good enough that it'll just rely on like two to three images. And maybe at some point it'll just know and you'll be able to use one image and eventually it'll come to things like Photoshop and other applications like that. But I think for now it's just an algorithm that are, that's being researched, but very impressive stuff. Yeah. So the last uh, story for the day is just kind of like a fun story. And and really, I threw it in here because there's just an example of um, pretty good Photoshop work. I mean, for the most part, a couple of these are okay, but uh, even those are pretty good. Um, Norwegian photographer slash retoucher, I'm, I'm going to call him, Pedro Berg Johnson, uh, did this, had this idea to do these facial mashups of different celebrities where he's combining facial features from two, three, four, five different celebrities onto one face. So let's say, I mean, the first one, what does he have? Like Taylor Swift's hair with somebody's head, someone's eyes, nose, lips, you know, puts it all together and creates this portrait, um, and does it with a whole list of celebrities, um, and has them there. And it's a pretty cool, uh, a pretty cool little list. I'll, like, I'll have the link uh, to the article and, and some example photos over at tutvid.com slash we geek slash episode 26, and you can check it out. Um, but a neat idea 
Um, and it's it's really cool when you see a neat idea get executed well and actually have pretty good results. Um, now yeah. I don't know I don't know how many of these celebrities he did and got awful results with. I mean, obviously you wouldn't show them, but it might be kind of funny to see the really you know terrible looking you know take this girl's face with that girl's hair and you know whatever. Yeah, you bring up a good point when you say well because we've seen this. I mean, this is not a new concept. People do this all the time. They swap faces. I have a Photoshop tutorial on my YouTube channel, how to swap faces. Wasn't that good, but you know, it's the concept that matters. Oh, it was, in that it was awful. One, it was of your, one of your worst tutorials. I was, <laughs> <laughs> it could just very well be, but looking at these, I'm looking at these now. They have like Chris Pratt plus Harrison Ford, Heath Ledger and Tom Hardy, Natalie Dormer, Emily, Emma Watson, and these are actually done very well. If you were to just show me an image of these people and not tell me anything, I really wouldn't question much because you can't really see any blur lines. You can't really see where the stitching was done. It it looks incredibly well done. So and, and the funny thing is, guy. you can tell like which features came from which celebrities for the most part. I'm sure if I was more well versed in celebrity mm -hmm. stuff, I would really be able to pick it out. But they still look like real people. They uh, do. And in yeah. most circumstances, pretty good looking people. So you're taking all these great features of all these people who are, you know, very attractive to begin with and blending them together. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it's kind of neat. I just thought it was a really cool, if nothing else, Photoshop experiment uh, gone wild. Indeed. So that's it. That's it for the news, at least. Yep, that's, that is it. We have our winners and losers of the week, and we have our quick six. Which yes. one do you want to start with first? I guess to do the quick six first, then we'll wrap up with the winners and losers. All right. So this week I am asking Nathaniel six questions where he can quickly answer or take a little bit of time to answer. And here we go. Number one, I had a hard time coming up with these questions because we're running out of ideas. Um, number one is if you can travel back in time, what year would you travel to? Uh, 1640. I don't know. That's just a to, very uh, travel travel back year. a long time ago when when things were much different. <laughs> <laughs> very different. Um, university or life experience, which do you feel best pre prepares you for your life? Well, it depends on what you want to do with your life, but in most circumstances, I would just say life experience. It's free. It's going to happen either way, um, and and a lot of times it has. Uh, it, some sort of emotion attached to it and I really think that emotional experiences are really what provide like the big landmark changes in your life yeah and we've spoken about this pretty in extensively in past episodes and really unless you're going to become a doctor right life experience I mean definitely don't uh right practice. don't yeah don't life experience that one <laughs> <laughs> you'll death experience a little bit before your life experience yeah really <laughs> Number three, if money was no object, what would you do all day? I would still work because I, 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 I honestly um, – how do I put this? I really try to keep money separate from work. You know what I mean? Um, and when I get to the point where I can just – I can financially – I can retire and not worry about anything, I feel like I'll still work because I'm, I, I very strongly believe you retire and you go and die. And not yeah. that working till the day I die is going to keep me alive forever. I don't, I'm not interested in that. I'm more interested in keeping my time occupied um, with something productive, doing so, doing some kind of good. So what work I would be doing, I'm not sure. Um, would I still be doing tutorials and things like that? 
I don't know. I don't know what I would be doing. Um, I feel like there would be even bigger ways that I could reach out and get involved with people if money was no object. Um, but I would definitely still be doing some kind of work or some kind of social outreach um, of some sort. All right, number four. This kind of bounces off that third one. Would you rather win the lottery or find your perfect job? Uh, find my perfect job. Never want to win the lottery. I have no interest in having anything handed to me. Agreed. Five, would you rather read on a Kindle or iPad or a paperback book? Is a hardback book an option? Sure. <laughs> Physical book that you can turn I would, I would rather. I would definitely rather read the hardback book. But with that said, there are definitely, definitely times, um, you know, if you have a 2,000-page, you know, systematic something kind of volume that you're going through, it's easier to have that on like a Kindle, especially if you're going on a trip, than packing, you know, four or five books with you. Um, so there's definitely times when reading on the Kindle is more convenient, but just for like comfort of the eyes, not holding this big electronic device in front of me for who knows how long. There's just something about the turning of the pages and the smell of a book um, that I just enjoy. You can mark up the margins with a pencil. Um, there's just something about that that I like that you can't really do with uh, anything digital. Yeah, and I find with digital stuff, there's so many distractions. If mm. I'm reading something, I just want to, you know, hop into multitasking yeah, and check double, Twitter. And yeah, double tap back. the home button and go yeah, tweet really. a little bit or jump on and Facebook. Double tap a book. <laughs> and finally, number six, if you weren't a photographer or educator, what would you want to be? Uh, some kind of business owner. And I don't know what that is. Lately, I've been seriously considering opening up a grilled cheese shop, oh, like for grilled cheese sandwiches. There. But like, artisan high-end you know what i mean like nobody does that i mean there are a few of them but not nothing that's like knock your socks off amazing and i'm talking i would research every type of bread every type of cheese every spice every everything um so that but that's the first idea that comes to mind um probably definitely something food related i love cooking i always wanted to be a chef um and if i could combine my love of cooking with my love of business um, and just that, that passion in general, um, that's definitely, that, that would definitely be the direction that I would head. Yeah. If you ever get into the grilled cheese business, <laughs> let me know. Cause I am a huge grilled cheese fan. I will, <laughs> well, I will invest in this thing. Well, there you go. <laughs> Perfect. All right, cool. Now that was fun. Uh, so winners and losers of the week, I guess I'll kick it off with my winner of the week. Um, I don't really have anything societally groundbreaking, no growing lettuce in outer space or anything like that. Um, my winner of the week is, and I don't know how many of you know about this, um, Abbey Road, the recording studio, the famous recording studio that the Beatles recorded an album, uh, or where the Beatles recorded an album and named one of their albums, in fact. They had that very iconic walk across Abbey Road on the crosswalk photo. Well, Abbey Road Studios has installed a webcam that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, now films that crosswalk and broadcasts it on the web at abbeyroad.com crossing, where you can go and check out and watch as people try to recreate the iconic album cover at all hours of the day. I just hmm. thought that was pretty super cool. That's kind of neat. Now, my winner of the week definitely isn't... Uh ground changing or groundbreaking or anything exciting but um i did have originally the nasa growing lettuce thing in space but as someone who's a big sports fan as someone who's grown up in toronto and as someone who has been disappointed year after year after year i have to give a shout out to the blue jays i don't know if you've been following the 11 sure straight 
11 straight, 11 right? straight. This is not... The Blue Jays won the World Series in 92 and 93 yeah, back-to-back. And, back. and in 93, they did it on the back of my Philadelphia Phillies, by the ah, way. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but after that, it's just been downhill. And let, don't even get me started on the Maple Leafs. Um, but the Blue Jays this year, they started off the season really well. They kind of leveled out a little bit. Then they made some major trades... In, uh, during the midseason, and they are 11 wins straight, and they just swept the Yankees, I believe, and they're just going to start another series with the Yankees on Friday, or today, I guess, and it's just, there, there's a hope, there's a chance that the Blue Jays will not only win the pennant, but they could potentially win the World Series, which, for someone, a sports fan in Toronto, or I guess from Toronto, you don't. You have no idea how exciting this is. Yeah, it's been so long since they brought a championship home. And for those of you that don't don't watch baseball, um, not only is this an eleven game win streak, but this is their second eleven game win streak, I believe, this season. Yeah, I think uh, it's which the is, first time that's been done since like nineteen forty seven. Yeah, or I was gonna say Kansas it's a super it. historic feat. Um, and yeah, it's really cool to see it happen. I mean, they've got they've got a great team. I mean, they they've got their pitching is pretty good, but their hitting is off the charts. They have one of the best offenses in baseball. Um, and it's, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do. They're, uh, yeah, this uh, series starting today against the Yankees is really going to be interesting. I don't think they'll sweep them again. Um, yeah, they just swept the Yankees them last week, Because Yankees are number two right? now. Yeah. yeah. They just, they and just Blue Jays them. are number one. It's going to be very interesting. But if they can do that, then I, I have high hopes for this team. But anyways, um, your loser of the week. What do you yes, got? my loser of the week is kind of a funny story. Um, there was uh, an article that I saw on CBS New York Three men face charges after going on treasure hunt in sewers beneath New York City. Well, there you go. So three guys, a 21-year-old, 35-year-old, and a 45-year-old. Um, people saw them pulling up a manhole cover, um, which, by the way, did you know a manhole cover is circular because, so I've heard, um, a, a, a circle or a circular object like that, it's impossible for it to fit down the hole in like any way you twist or turn it. So oh, you never sense. have to worry about it dropping down. But anyway, they, they removed this and climbed down in the sewer. They, they had metal detectors and all this other stuff. They were going treasure hunting, looking for <laughs> stuff that people dropped down the sewer, which I don't know if you've ever smelled New York City, oh, but going down into the sewer seems like an, a, a, an horrifically bad idea. I don't care what you find down there. It's not worth it. Uh, unless you know that there's like an insanely huge gold supply and it's like all right we got to walk a little ways we got our stuff on we're all good to go we can get it anything other than that i'm not going down there on an offhand shot that i can find a 70 dollar ring or no. a 500 dollar ring or a five thousand dollar ring i want this to be in the hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars before before i even consider it <laughs> so so they're 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 facing what what cbs just calls criminal charges um you know and and that's that's that. I mean, you know, there's idiots all over the place, I guess. <laughs> Indeed. And speaking of idiots, my loser of the week is also sports related, and I can list a bunch of these idiots, but Patrick Kane of the Chicago Blackhawks oh. has been or I guess is being investigated along with a bunch of other NHL players who are currently being investigated um, for sexual assault and potentially rape. And I believe this occurred in his hometown of Buffalo. And there isn't much information about this, but the the local police did definitely confirm that he is being investigated for sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. And it's one of these things like you have pretty much everything you can possibly need in your life. You're an NHL player. You're basically the best of the best. You just won a Stanley Cup. You're 
being paid millions upon millions. I think his salary is probably like somewhere around $5 million per season, which is crazy. And I'm sure he can get any woman he wants without having to force himself on anything. And he does this. And this is just one of many NHL players who have been caught doing stupid things. Um, who was it? Someone from the Kings was caught at the Canadian border. The rumor oh, is that he yeah. was smuggling Mike meth. Richards. Richards, yeah. He was yeah. smuggling meth or some, some drug-related thing. And then there was Jared Stoll, who was caught in Vegas doing cocaine. It's like, really? just I, I understand it's the off-season and you have, you have nothing to do. Time and Go, money to blow. Yeah, literally. Go golfing. <laughs> <laughs> or do something with your life. Don't throw because they are throwing their lives away. Patrick Kane is probably done. Yeah, um, and he's, and he's an, inc- was, an incredibly good player. I mean, the NHL was an NHL 2K16 just dropped him from the cover. Like yep. it was supposed to be him and his teammate Jonathan Taves like holding the Stanley Cup, and now it's just Taves standing there with the Stanley Cup above his head. It's kind of like, well, I guess you know, still a cover. Uh, but yeah, I know it's it's it is pretty insane, and you know, and, and the same thing for American football. You look across the league, and there's a few guys right. who it's just like you're throwing your career away for like you know driving 150 miles an hour with a baby in the back of your car, like dumb stuff, like really dumb stuff. Like these are dreams for people to get to this point, make this much money, I just, doing what you love, and it's like you just throw it away with one stupid thing. I feel like what once you get to that point, though, you know what I mean? It would just be like you know like like us you know what i mean there's things that we have though that, like people would love to have 100 200,000 subscribers you know on on a youtube channel and we look at, at people with you know a million 2 million subscribers like man that that's going to be awesome someday when we get there um you know but once you get there you i mean you, there's it, there's a small part of you or maybe a big part of you that wants to be complacent and take it for granted and just like, this is my life. You know what I mean? I've got this and other people don't. And not that you like explicitly think about it that way, but you begin to sort of behave that way. And like in the case of a guy like Patrick Kane, you know, does he need that woman? You know what I mean? Can he not get any woman that he wants? He can, I'm sure he can. I mean, I don't think he's a horrible looking guy. I mean, I don't really know. Um, but, you know, I think it's just a matter of people say yes to me because I can buy anything, I can do anything when I want to do it, and if you say no, you know what I mean, it's almost, it doesn't, you throw the money out of the picture, throw everything out of the picture, I feel like it just becomes purely an ego situation, and you don't want to wait, you know, you don't want to wait the two hours that it would take a prostitute to get to your house, you know, you just, you want what you want and you want it now. Um, and yeah, you've never, you're just not used to being told no. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it does, certainly doesn't justify it. I'm not trying to justify it, but I can understand, you know, what he's doing, uh, like from a, like from a, a, a human behavioral standpoint. Um, but yeah, it's terrible because you shouldn't lose that perspective because you should realize I'm making 5 million bucks a year plus endorsement deals and all of that, you know, and this is stuff that other people dream of and I'm going to throw it away because one moment of passion and, you know, intensity, I can't get a hold of myself and, and just, you know, buck up, man. And, 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 you know, get through it, like chill out. (laughs) Yeah, really. So. And unfortunately, this is something that happens way too often in the sports world. But and that's and that's why sports figures shouldn't be your your child's role model, <laughs> for instance, because you don't know when one of them is gonna, when one of them is going to punch his girlfriend out in an elevator on a security camera, <laughs> and and all of that. 
So, so that will just about do it for episode number 26 of the We Geeks podcast. Make sure to follow us on soundcloud.com slash wegeeks. Uh, iTunes, if you love our show, head over to patreon.com slash wegeeks. Follow myself at Iceflow Studios, Nathaniel at Tutvid. And we will definitely be back next week. My schedule is pretty open next week for episode number 27. Yep. So it's been it's been a good episode. It's been real. And uh, so I guess we'll see everyone next week. Thanks for listening. Take it easy, everybody.